This is Inner Healing Paths podcast. Here we discuss the healing of the mind, body, soul, and spirit through a variety of different paths. We have emotional and spiritually minded conversations centering on ancestral healing, psychology, astrology, yoga, meditation, magic, and indigenous spiritual practices of the world. I am your host, Rosa Shetty, and I am so happy you are here. Welcome. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Inner Healing Paths. This episode is titled Setting Boundaries, Estrangement and Grief with Violeta Fernandez. She's a licensed mental health therapist. And in this episode, we talk about setting boundaries with family. We talk about the grief and loss that comes with being disconnected from your family of origin. Violeta shares her own story of how she set boundaries with her family, the estrangement that came as a result of her setting boundaries. And she shares just so candidly and generously about what has helped her heal, what has helped her come to a place of self-love and acceptance. So I know you will find this episode so, so healing, especially because the holiday season is coming up. And if you are estranged from your family, this can be a time that is particularly painful, particularly more triggering in regards to the loss of not having a good connection or any connection with your family of origin. So without further ado, here is the interview with Violeta Fernandez. Take a listen. Hi, Violeta. Thank you so much for being here. Um, so let's go ahead and, and get started. So to start off, can you share with the, our listeners a little bit more about you and where you're from, where you practice? Yeah, I am Violeta. Um, I am a licensed clinical social worker and I work as a therapist in community health and also in private practice. And I focus a lot on trauma. And then my specialty is family estrangement, especially in the Latinx community or BIPOC communities. And so let's see, other than that, I am from San Antonio, Texas. I live in Los Angeles, but I'm actually moving back to San Antonio uh, by the end of October. So I've been here seven years now and now it's time to go back. Oh, okay, so you're gonna be leaving California. Yeah. Okay. How are you feeling about that? I'm ready. I'm ready. It was, it took me a while simply because um, it was very painful there just because the family that I'm estranged from, they all live there. And so, but now I'm ready. I feel like I'm in a great uh, place in my life when it comes to my healing and career and I'm ready. I'm not, I don't feel avoidant anymore. Great. Well, and to start off, you know, this podcast is called Inner Healing Paths, and that's because I believe that there are so many paths that, that lead to healing. So from your perspective and from the work that you do as a therapist specializing in estrangement, can you tell us a little bit about 
how healing looks like on you know with your with your clients in the population that you work with well healing is definitely unique to each person and so with a lot of my clients they typically will come in for help because they feel out of control they don't feel connected to their identities and so we do a lot of focus on just re-examining some of the, for instance, their values, their, their limits, like boundaries, their relationships, not only with other people, with, but with themselves. Um, it is an opportunity for them to explore a bit more when it comes to like their sexuality or their, their, their uh, queerness, or when it comes to just their cultural identity. Um, and so we examine a lot of that. And then it's about recreating, recreating hope and reclaiming narratives. Because a lot of times, um, a lot of us have been conditioned to believe what our families and society has, has led us to believe. And that might be just that we're not good enough or that we don't know any better. And so we work a lot on that, and that helps to reduce feelings of anxiety, depression, just gaining more stability and balance is, is what we aim for. It sounds like there's a lot of, uh, of resiliency that you try to, to focus and build on. You know, because our yeah. clients already come in with their own innate resiliency and strength. So it sounds like you have this strength based approach where you try to really capitalize on them and I like what you you said you said recreating um, hope can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that how does that look like in the actual like in therapy you know in the actual work that you do yeah so and recreating hope a lot of that is also examining the relationship with grief because a lot of times they are going through the grieving process, whether it comes to relationships, whether it comes to um, different parts of their lives. So even if they're going through addictions. And so when we look at the relationship with grief, we look at how do we um, recreate hope? Because a lot of times they're holding on to old versions of themselves or old relationships or just old visions that they had for themselves. And so we're looking to go ahead and replace that. And that's where a lot of the, the work by, I can't think of her name, but Pauline, when it comes to ambiguous loss, is that that grief is, is grieving something. It's not like somebody died. It's just this old version or something that used to exist. They've lost something in their lives. And so now we're gonna replace old hope with new hope and that's where the creating of new attachments and new identities come in yeah and that that is so uh i, I think a lot of people don't have the wording that you just said ambiguous loss yeah. for what they're experiencing so i think it's so um i'm so glad that you touched on that because it is something that I think everyone goes through that, right? Just life, you know, just being, you know, just growth and, and life. And if you're one of those that, that likes to, to work on yourself and you're constantly moving or changing directions of your life, if you're, you're going to experience this sense of ambiguous loss because that's just change, right? It is. Yeah. And so for the, the, the clients that, that you work with, um, how would you describe when when that finally clicks for them that that sense of 
that I ha their identity clicks and or they're, they're able to reconnect with that part within themselves and make sense and be able to to go on. I think it starts to click for people when they start to feel less shame. They start to feel more confident in how they show up for themselves. So, for instance, we'll take like how they interact with family members. And sometimes there's a lot of fear of being judged and being rejected. And so for them, a lot of times they have already experienced that. And so they tend to walk on eggshells and people please so they can avoid that feeling again. And so when they're able to not focus on that so much and just show up as themselves or not have to apologize for being themselves, I think that's when they start to get a taste of that, experience that, that's where things start to fall into place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When they start to almost like embody that, right? When they mm -hmm. start really experiencing, not just mentally, but when they start taking it on as a possibility yeah. in their yeah. mind connect to that to that possibility that's so yeah. beautiful and, and Violeta tell us a little bit about what what led to your calling or how did you find your calling to do the, mm -hmm. the work that you do well there's different layers to the work that I do I think first like just being a social worker for me I think that I just didn't have answers to my own life uh, things that were going on in my life and at that time I didn't know that's what I was looking for but when I just started studying more about social justice, um, that would just start for me, giving me answers to why things were the way they were and even within my own family. And at that time, I was really focused on being a, an activist and doing community social work. But then I, when I started working with perpetrators of violence and a domestic violence um, internship, I started to really get to know um, some of the people I was working with. And then when they would share some of their stories, there was so much shame involved. And my role was to provide um, as a therapist to provide uh, supportive support. And so just seeing the vulnerability of people at that point, it was it honestly, I found it to be really beautiful. It was painful, but beautiful because a lot of times and perhaps that was me not being fully even present with myself, but just seeing it up close and personal like that, because I didn't come from a family that allowed vulnerability. Um, and so that really captivated me. And then moving to Los Angeles after that internship, where it really was also um, um, opportunities where a lot of the work was in clinical social work. And so I started off in Skid Row and then South Central. And then now at this time in West Hollywood, is where I've just been learning more and more about clinical, my clinical skills and developing myself as a therapist. And then now in private practice, I work primarily with college students, professionals. And so it's, it's a different, when the community setting is going to be more like people who are houseless and people that have more severe symptoms. And then I have others that I can work with and that allows us to really participate really participate or them to participate in therapy and, and they already have that sense some sense of stability so we can really focus on making changes yeah so when it comes to your own healing path and what would you say was the doorway because i know for a lot of people 
um, or, you know, talking about myself, you know, therapist, regardless of the field, there's usually a doorway, something that leads you to realize, okay, I need to start healing. And, and then you, yeah. for me, it was finding yoga. That was my doorway. That was, how, mm-hmm. um, from, it was, it was the yoga. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. yeah from, okay. just through yoga. And just, that was my doorway into spirituality, which is, which still is a big component of my own healing. What would you say it is for you? What 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 was that that doorway that led to your own to your own internal healing? For me, it was just the end of a really abusive relationship. It was emotionally and verbally abusive. And I knew I was like, okay, this is the last one because I'm really tired of going through this. And so it was when that relationship ended or was coming to an end that I started really wanting to learn more. And that's where I started learning more about codependency and narcissism. Um, And so once in boundaries, because it's funny, even though I was playing the role of a clinician, I wasn't a therapist, but I was playing the role of a clinician. um, I didn't have healthy boundaries. So when I start examining that, then I started seeing the connection with my own family. And once I started setting, trying to set boundaries with my own family is where that was rejected. And then that's when the the discarding came from my own parents. And so then that set me to then take it another, um, take it further with my healing. I didn't really have a choice. Like (laughs) you want to save your life, you need to really start looking at how you're going to get through this. And so, yeah, it just really started with the breakup that led me into exploring more about why do I keep going through this? Um, And so from there, just then looking at my family and that's led me down this path of focusing on family estrangement was my own, has been my own experience with that. And and family estrangement is something that I think it's just, it's part of what, what, as you start healing and as you start setting boundaries with people in your life um it sometimes it just it's it's a it's a phase sometimes eventually they come around and you can mend their relationships and sometimes it just can't because they are just so toxic and they're not you know that you can't they're not doing the work and so you have to set those boundaries um, so can you tell us a little bit in terms of because i know you mentioned you're going to be moving uh, back to Texas, and just for our listeners that um, that that are going through this, um, you know, what are some of the the, the ways that you're planning to just um, maintain the gains that you have while being here in, in LA and in, in healing, and just and you know, what what are some of the things that you that you going to implement when you go back and in, in that space with with your family? Well, actually, it's a little, in some ways, it's easier for me simply because we have no contact with each other. And so with that, I mean, it wasn't my choice. It was a choice that they made. Um, with That would be my dad and my two brothers. And so, and my mom has already passed away. So in some ways, that makes it a lot easier for me to maintain my well-being. But if, let's say which happens a lot with my clients is that I have to move back in with them or I'm going to be seeing them. There's going to be contact. That's going to be where you have to have a set of limits 
and they can be soft um, depending on your feeling of safety though. If you don't feel that safe with them, of course, you can have some sturdier boundaries. But if you're also trying to see where this is going to go, we're just not sure, you can start off with soft boundaries. And that might just mean less contact. It might mean that you're not going to every family event. It might just mean that um, you will perhaps not contribute to certain, a certain, we'll say a certain bill. You just may have more time for yourself versus them. Uh, which may a lot of times be the expectation is that you're going to be spending a lot more time with them. And you mentioned uh, a couple of key words, and I just want to uh, just ask you, you know, when it, when, it, when it comes to estrangement, you mentioned, you know, the grief that comes. Um, is it always the case um, it, when you go through uh, that process of, of setting boundaries and eventually estrangement from a family member, you, do you believe that everyone goes through that grief or at some point, or, or maybe for some, it, because it, they've been through this so long that they just maybe feel relief? You know, uh, what, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? I think most people experience grief. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that they have not accepted that there's not going to be the relationship that they would like. It, with grief is so, it's not linear, so it can just change throughout the course of your life. So we'll say like holidays um, can be sometimes for people a trigger and that has them wanting to, wanting to see if perhaps there is some hope for this relationship. Um, but there's going to be some that are, are very comfortable with their decision of not having a relationship with family. And while they might be disappointing at times, they're okay, they're comfortable and they, they feel safe. Like that is the safest thing for them to do. And so really, everybody is just really different with where their grieving process is. I find most of us crave a paternal connection, maternal, paternal, or parental connection, I should say, even if it's a caregiver and not your biological parent. So there may still always be that curiosity and just, again, disappointment. Um, but overall, I think most people do experience grief. It's just, it just looks different for everybody. And when it comes to the, 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 the uh, you know, I, you mentioned also shame. And when it comes to, to shame, what role does shame have in, in regards to working with, with, with folks that are going, that are not, not talking to their family? Yeah. Um, it, and what role do you see it play out when it comes to grief and estrangement? You know, yeah. I know it's such a layered process. And yeah. is not linear, but I'm just curious of you know how shame comes through and, and how does it manifest for, for 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 folks going through this? I think because most adult children have experienced shame with the relationship with the parent or caregiver that they're estranged from, um, I think they're very familiar with it. And so it's something they tend to fear. And that's why they tend to avoid perhaps that conversation with their parent because it just doesn't feel safe. And also um, they may also avoid boundaries. So shame can be this huge barrier that has taken over people's lives. However, for some, um, they're also going to experience it when they do make the decision to distance themselves or end a family relationship, they will continue to experience it likely from other family or the person that they're estranging themselves from. 
Or even if let's say you've been rejected, um, we'll say disowned by your family, there's a huge amount of shame because a lot of times people, again, are still going to blame you because why there's not as much empathy for adult children as there is for the parents. It's usually that we're being ungrateful. Um, so either way, throughout people's lives, when they have gotten to the point of being distant or cutting off a relationship, they've been experiencing shame. And really, it's going to either hold you back until you make the decision to start healing. Um, and it can be like a little bit at a time when it comes to the healing process. Or for some, it's going to continue, but you are learning how to manage the shame and guilt of not having that close family relationship. Yeah, but shame definitely is something that comes up quite often because people don't know what to say or react when you tell them that you don't have a relationship with your family. And, you know, shame that it's, um, it's such a difficult emotion to navigate because it is very complex. And for mm-hmm. a lot of people, it is very much rooted in our childhood. Um, there's a lot of trauma involving shame and and wounding and you know and, and I, I differentiate wounding and trauma because you know, trauma is brain encoding a specific situation and then every time you experience it you get triggered you know that PTSD uh, but the wounding that emotional reaction to feeling shamed you know the, um, so it's a very very complex emotion and a lot of times uh, uh, clients or, or folks don't realize uh, how traumatic it really was for them to experience shame throughout their life or their their upbringing and then to re-experience it as an adult when that when it doesn't involve the parents you know and so it, it, it could be through their intimate relationships a boss you know that that shames them at yeah. home so it, it just, it, it's one of those things, um, specifically shame that just keeps almost coming back until yeah. it is healed, right? Until that part, that, that part of within you that feels the shame until that part can be, can be seen. Uh, so in, in your work, in, in just in your work with, with, all, with your clients, you know, how does how does healing shame and working through that process as they're navigating their grief and their loss of family connections um how does the the connecting with their shame and addressing their shame how does that come up for for folks or or how does the, the, the healing look like for folks what's funny um it actually doesn't always come in relationships with people but more have relationships with let's say something like food or with even um, spending money on themselves or their own self-care, having their own boundaries. Uh, boundaries can be so shameful for people because they feel like they're they're they feel like they're withholding pe- they're withholding from people like love and affection. And, and so we work on that. But yeah, it tends to come up in pe- all aspects of people's lives. And so in healing through that, it really does take a lot of like, one, I'm a brain spotting therapist. So we do a lot of like slowing down the nervous system as we start to really unpack some of the misconceptions about some of the decisions that maybe they're making, like we'll say again, boundaries or just re-examining the 
re-examining their own identities. And so if I remember correctly, that what you're asking is about like how do how do you heal through the shame? And so go ahead. No, I was just asking, yeah, how does that yeah. look like with your, you know, with, the, with, the, with the client and therapy, you know, uh, how does it, how does it look, how does healing that shame part yeah. within, how does that look like from, from your perspective? Yeah, okay, just want to make sure, but um, yeah, it is really just slowing down because I'm telling you when people, when we talk about like enforcing boundaries with people, it can be almost terrifying and it can cause so much anxiety doing that. So we just learn to really slow down the nervous system. And we learn also a person's own limits. Like what I think would be best for them, they know themselves and their families better than I do. So they're going to determine what their limits are. So poco a poco, they will start to, to enforce some. And it's really just knowing that it's also a whole spectrum it's not an all or nothing process when it comes to boundaries, when it comes to distancing yourself from family, just learning that they have options too, because a lot of times when shame is involved, um, people are not allowed to express themselves, they're not allowed to make their own decisions, so they don't even know what their options are, and they don't even really understand their own emotions. So we also examine emotions, decisions, um, like the options. And then them recreating that, like, okay, this perception you have about um, queerness, where does that come from? And how comfortable in your own body do you feel when you say something, will say something negative about being queer? And so a lot of times they find that it really doesn't align, the messages that they've been receiving don't align with how they truly feel. And so it just starts to all come together when you start to really examine all these different layers to identity. And I, I really like that you that you mentioned the word choice, right? That you you remind them that they they, they have a choice in yeah. this process in this healing process. And I think for, for patients that are healing from trauma and healing, and, and I, I before I continue, setting boundaries can be very, very triggering. Like you yeah. it's it's so it activates your nervous system. So I think part of healing that is like you said, is reminding them that they do have a choice in this process. And, and I, I, you know, I, I believe that, you know, what a wonderful opportunity, you know, to be in therapy and to, and to be, to navigate these really, really complex emotions, because they're really, it's not, um, you can read about it, you can read yeah. about it, your own experience and to process that with somebody else is, um, I think, is one of the most uh, powerful ways to 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 heal and to be or begin that journey yeah no definitely because I think a lot of times when we grow up in chaos it's a very all or nothing black and white world because you're just trying to survive if, if you're going through abuse and again if you don't have a voice that you can use in your own family you just know to react so that stays with you as you're getting older and that's where like these impulses and these um um, like we'll say like just really irrational thoughts come in and that's where having finding that window of opportunity by examining what you're feeling and your choices really helps people to reduce um, the reactions and just helps them to slow down yeah absolutely slowing down 
the activated nervous system, right? That is mm -hmm. the key. And I think so many trauma healing modalities, that's what they target, right? And, and you mentioned brain spotting. So for our listeners that are not familiar with this therapy approach, can you tell us a little bit about brain spotting and, and yeah. what it involves? Yeah, so brain spotting is a treatment modality. It's an intervention that we use. It's a form of EMDR. It's different because it's not talk therapy. Talk therapy, like you and I both know, we see it on TV where the therapist and client are talking back and forth. But with something like EMDR and brain spotting, we're really learning how to pay more attention to our nervous system, how our body's reacting to emotions. And what that entails is I, as a therapist, will use what we call bilateral music. So very similar to meditation music. And also I'm going to most of the time use a pointer to help someone find a fixed eye position. So that might be a little confusing, but I would say for those that have been at the gym or work out at home or anything, when it comes to exercising, some people will just find a spot that they focus on to help them find this rhythm to their workout. Um, you So it is something that brain spotting is used also like with athletes. But with that said, when you find that fixed eye position, it helps you to really notice the correlation between what you're feeling and how your body's responding. And so we sit with the stillness of that. So I don't talk and I'm holding space. I'm listening, I'm watching the client really start to process what it is that they're that they want to process. So for instance, if somebody wants to process their fear of leaving their home or a relationship, as they start processing their, you know, different things are coming to them, thoughts, memories. But in this case, if it activates them to where they, they typically avoid that. So let's say outside of their therapy session, when it comes up, they will just go ahead and distract themselves with work or with alcohol. Either way, in this case, they're not as distracted, they're focused. And so then we also help them to, I would help them to then find different parts of their body that helps them to ground themselves when they're processing something that's really uncomfortable for them. So it's not a form of talk therapy, but more of something more somatic. It's a form of mindfulness that allows them to examine and process stress and trauma. Yeah, thank you for that wonderful explanation. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of a lot of folks, um, especially if they're listening to to this podcast, um, mm -hmm. they may be uh, starting their journey, maybe they're thinking about doing uh, some trauma work or working on their boundaries and relationships with their family of origin, which is all intertwined, you know, when you yeah. work on family <laughs> of origin issues, you're working on your trauma. I mean, you can call it that, but you know, it's really trauma work because there is so much encoding that happens growing up that it's just no, there's no way to tease out, you know, the trauma, yeah. the family dynamics. Uh, but, you know, for folks that are considering this, how would you, from your opinion, how, how, would, um, how would you know if they're ready to do this work? You know, if they're ready to do the, the like the brain spotting and some of the intensive work that you offer? Yeah. I think when you're just really 
wanting to have a closer wanting well different ways you can know but one which we don't want to wait for is when they feel out of control we when it's so bad that perhaps you're calling off of work all the time or you're not you don't have um, any relationships uh, we'll say for some people they don't they have a really hard time making or even keeping friends or partners we don't want to wait until then to go to therapy, but that's oftentimes what happens is people will come because they really feel unbalanced in their lives. And not everybody's going to be ready to admit that there's trauma in their lives. A lot of times it's really uncomfortable to even admit that. Um, but, you know, if that's the case, just talking to somebody about something small, people would be surprised where that takes them. So I think it's just really going to depend on the person and knowing what do they want to work on? If it's something just what they would think, okay, this is pretty, what I think is simple, or it can be anything. If they want to work on the relationship they have with spending money. Um, so for some, they know they have trauma. They're like, okay, I'm, I'm tired of this. I, I can't do this anymore. You know, I welcome them to EMDR, brain spotting. Um, but for some who are just unsure, want to take it slow, Perhaps they can consider talk therapy. However, ultimately, to really get into the trauma and stress that's really affecting us deeply, I would suggest finding an EMDR or brain spotting therapist that will ease you, in, like help you ease your way into it. Like, for instance, I'm never going to throw somebody into that right away. And if any therapist did, then you change that therapist. Yeah, it's um, so so you you kind of, so it sounds like you start off where they're at and you yes definitely. And what about for those folks? Because we, we I know I've you know I've I've been on this end too where you, you have patients that just want to do EMDR. They only want to do brain spotting. They don't they're not interested in talking and yeah want to get to it as soon as possible. And you get the sense that they're not ready. Perhaps there's a lot of depression. Um, that you know, they don't have the resources, coping tools, you know, how would you, what, what would you recommend for those patients? You know, what, what is your approach in, in helping those patients get ready? Um, so for someone that you said only wants EMDR, brain spotting, well, sometimes that is, I have a couple like that, where they're just not really trying to talk, but I also know that they have a talk therapist. So you can have more than one therapist. And a lot of people don't know that. And so we're just going to really focus on the brain spotting throughout the whole session. Uh, and then they will determine, well, together, we'll talk about their progress and how they're doing throughout the week. And they will determine um, if they want to continue. But I mean, with my input as well. So we both work together on that. Um, and for some that I think that if you asked was, how do they know? My apologies, the question again. No, yes, I was wondering, you know, for those patients that are very, dis just very dysregulated, just, yeah. not, you know, don't have coping tools or strategies, oh, yeah. navigate, but they want to start right away, you know? Yeah. Why do hurry to get started? And it's like, wait, you doesn't, you, know, you have to, you have to start, you know, with, with calming down the nervous system. So how do you approach those clients? What, what is your recommendation for those that come in? Yeah. And that's the majority. That's the majority. We're going to, I do a combination of talk therapy, um, what we're calling DBT technique, and then the brain spotting. 
And they actually really liked it a lot because some people, they want to talk. They want to, <laughs> they need to talk. They want they want some validation for what they're going through from a professional. So we do both. And a lot of times we're just building the foundation first before we dive into brain spotting. It is more about, well, what does your coping look like? What's your support look like? How often are you checking in with yourself? How well do you know your body? So yeah, we definitely build on that first before we go into brain spotting. So for somebody that eventually wants to get there, I say, come on in, let's try this to right away. Let's try this um, working on the trauma, but again, we're gonna ease our way into it. Yeah. And you know, the holidays are coming up. Mm-hmm end of September and in a couple of months it's me Thanksgiving and and I find that the end of the year is so triggering for for folks that are that have lost uh, that have lost family or are not talking to their parents or family or you know do you have any recommendations that they can do to navigate the the estrangements you know the holiday season anything simple that they can do that you think will be helpful yeah definitely building community that's going to be one of the best suggestions that I have is building community outside of your family so for a lot of us especially in our Latinx community family is everything that's the message and to perhaps step outside of that circle can be frowned upon but if you're lucky enough that where you could to either go to school or you have a job, um, you volunteer in your community. Um, basically, when you're interacting with other people outside of your family of origin, that is going to be one of the best things you can do because it allows you to receive support from others. Um, and it diversifies it diversifies your experiences as well, um, especially with the holidays coming for those that feel isolated. I say join my support group. I have a support group I'm about, about to start October 10th and they can find information in my bio. Um, but support from community is big. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, like I said, we have a couple of months um, now, but by the time this podcast episode releases, it might be closer to the holidays. So, you know, so reaching out perhaps to the support system they already have. Mm-hmm. You mentioned and I, and I believe that work because we're there, right? We're there for so many hours. Well, maybe not now so much, but we're, you know, we're, a lot of us are working from home, but we're, we're connecting with, with our coworkers, whether online or mm-hmm. a different way, but we're still interacting into those resources, right? That we already have in our life, in our lives now. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes it is rebuilding a relationship that perhaps, we haven't given much attention to. Um, making friends is really challenging for adults. So I would say, look at the ones that perhaps have been neglected a little bit, um, because especially for women or primary caregivers that are even men or, or non-binary, a lot of times being caregivers doesn't allow you time to socialize. So if there's a way to enforce some boundaries, just like you would at work, because it's still work being a caregiver, it is going to be allowing yourself to socialize a little bit and yeah, recreate, rebuilding on um, relationships that have been neglected some that can be great if you're not ready to step out into the community. And, and you know, just uh, want to emphasize that building like that, that you, you mentioned the community part and it is so, so critical just because our nervous system is wired to be with others and yeah. 
I think I was watching a TEDx um, clip the other day and the number one predictor for a long life, I think number one, the being in community, having positive social every day. So people don't realize how, uh, how essential and basic for our life, for our survival, it is to, to be in community. So when we're feeling alone, when we feel like we don't have anybody, our life is dramatically, our health, I should say, is being impacted in a tremendous way. It doesn't happen in one day, of course, it's an accumulation. So thank you so much for bringing awareness to that because it is huge. It sounds like, well, you know, yes, community, everybody talks about it, but it is that critical for a survival. It is, and especially if you've been rejected or abandoned by your family, uh, specifically if you are queer, that can be really isolating. Um, and so that's where the chosen families come in, where you select who is going to actually be part of your family versus relatives. Relatives, it's just really a blood tie. There's nothing more. Um, but yes, because the isolation of estrangement, because one, people don't talk about it. So you feel like you're the only one going through it. Um, and so a lot of times it can lead us to blaming ourselves and wondering, well, what's so wrong with me? But through community, if you find people that are uplifting and that are, um, they genuinely care about you, it helps to really uh, change your perspective on yourself and to combat those negative messages that you may have received from your own family of origin that, that had you really doubting yourself. Absolutely. Well, Violeta, I, I want to thank you so much for this conversation. Um, I think this is a much, much needed conversation and build awareness of this. Yeah. And for those folks that want to get to know you a little bit better, that will perhaps join the support group that you mentioned, how can they find you? One, thank you, Rosa, for just having me here. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, and so if they want to get to know me more, um, on Instagram, I have my page, Therapista underscore Violetita. And there I have my, the link in my bio that takes you to how to get in touch with me if you're seeking therapy and you want to go ahead and give this a try with brain spotting or just talk therapy or both. And then also the support group that I have starts October 10th until November 14th. It's a six-week virtual support group for estranged adult children and siblings. And um, yeah, they check out my page and they can learn and, uh, a little bit more pretty soon. Um, what else? Yeah, pretty soon I'll be putting out more content as when I get my move to Texas. But yeah. So you mentioned um, the group starts when again? October 10th. So it's every Sunday at 4 p.m. Pacific um, Standard Time. So California time. So uh, will you be offering it again? Oh, yes. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I'm moving to Texas is to expand my work on estrangement and have support groups that at some point will even be for estranged parents that are ready to do the work. Wonderful. Thank you so much for all that. So again, Violeta, gracias for talking to me today. And I will um, talk to you soon, hopefully very soon again. Yeah, and muchísimas gracias. Of course. Bye. Bye.
I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope that you found it healing and nourishing to your mind and soul. If there's a friend that you think would benefit from listening to this information, please share it. Share about our podcast. If you feel called to, please leave us a review as this really, really helps boost our presence here in Apple Podcasts and it makes it easier for others to find us to stay up to date on new episode releases and special events and projects that I'm working on. You can follow us on Instagram at Inner Healing Paths Podcast, and you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to my website, which is rosachettilcsw.com. And I will include this information and links in the show notes. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to sharing with you again next time.